How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Blind. I am your host, Chris Adams. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, all the social media normals under BTBN. If you're listening to us on iTunes, make sure you hit that subscribe button. I think Podbean has something similar. I don't know. I haven't dealt with that app as much, but uh, I believe you can subscribe through there, too. Um, I really appreciate you guys doing that, sharing this thing, um, helping it grow. It's a, uh, a big deal to me. Um, yeah, if you're, uh, if you're following us, make sure you jump on the BTBN Facebook page and uh, look at that duck call that I made in our colors, the uh, blue, green, black. Did I say blue? Yeah, no, I mean green, black, gray. Um, cool little hybrid call that I made. We're going to give that thing away. The rules are on the picture. You make sure you like, share, comment, tag a couple buddies, subscribe to the podcast. Um, Yeah, I I, I hope you guys uh, will jump on there and leave us a review. Um, One through five, it doesn't matter to me. Um, Hopefully you feel that it it warrants a five. As always, if you want a... uh, a duck call shaped paperweight. I got to come up with something new. I've been doing that one for like 10 episodes now. But uh, if you want a, a duck call that's been reviewed as pretty decent, um, you can always hit me up and get on that waiting list. It seems like the, the list is growing longer and longer these days. But uh, I'll get to you, I promise. Anyways, um, yeah, it's been a crazy week. We're getting to the end of the week um, tomorrow's Friday, probably when you listen to this thing, it will be Friday, we got a bunch of stuff coming up this weekend, a bunch of guys on the schedule, so, uh, yeah, it'll be a really, really fun one, today I have another, another competition caller out there, he is a, uh, world champion, been going to Stuttgart for a long, long time, been doing this thing for a long, long time, and, uh, yeah, he got uh he got that world champion title and uh couldn't be happier for him. He's a super nice guy, does a lot for the sport. So without further ado, the great Michael Steinmeier. So what is going on, man? How are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing just living the dream. Living the dream. We tried to do this thing last week, man. I remember you were talking the internet was crazy and it was just Today, you're inside a town, so it sounds good. Yeah, um, apparently uh, the Rona has kept people inside and binging Netflix for hours on end, and it's just sucking the bandwidth from every every household. Yeah, I've heard legitimately rumors of that, of them throttling people's internet because so many more people are watching ungodly amounts of hours of Netflix. Uh, I'm sure if we saw it on Facebook, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> well, I can tell you back when Tiger King happened, it was 100% true. Oh, absolutely. They made a documentary about it, so it's even it's got to be even more true now. Did you watch that nonsense? Man, I have not yet. I That is a rabbit hole. I'm not too sure when I'm going to sit down and watch it, because it's going to be one of the deals to where whenever I push play, I'm not going to want to get up and move until I watch the entire, you know, the entire documentary. It was, uh, it was so funny, and the, it was weird because the guy who was a, a felon hitman was the most normal guy in the show. 
And you're like this this felon hitman is the most normal guy. Every person you meet, you're just like, I cannot believe this is real life. I mean, it makes sense. It's Oklahoma, Missouri area, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got Oklahoma. You know, you've got Missouri to the uh, to the northeast, and you got Oklahoma or uh, uh, Arkansas there to the to the east as well. So you never know what kind of uh, what kind of odds and ends you're going to get scraggling around. Dude, it's freaking crazy. What have you been doing this year since calling has uh, been kind of put on the back burner, man? I have been playing an astronomical amount of golf. That is the most expensive secondary hobby you can have. I agree. I uh, I actually, last year when I started the my new job, there's a country club about 10 minutes up the not even 10 minutes from the office so i went ahead and joined that thinking you know it'd be good for meeting folks and you know so on and so forth and i'm probably playing two to three times a week on average that's not bad no it's not and uh i guess my most expensive uh uh expenditure on that is the the amount of golf balls i've lost yes uh i've had some serious ups and some really big time downs in about the last two months <laughs> have you been playing long before everything started happening or? yeah i used to play you know two three times a year and that was about it um but i think the older i've gotten i know that sounds terrible because you know god almighty 37 years old is not old anymore uh i enjoy it it's a re- it's something to do. It's some you know. It's very relaxing. Um, and man, you talk about everything has to click for that perfect golf shot. Yeah. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I it mine doesn't click every time I I put a club in my hand either. <laughs> do, do you guys drink beer while you're out there doing it? At least I do not. I haven't had a drink since December twenty first, two thousand seventeen. Oh, good for you, man. That's awesome. Yep. It's uh, probably the best decision I've ever made in my life. Yeah, true that, man. I, I remember you saying something about that in the message. I can't believe I even brought it up. But, uh, you know, that's the nature of the podcast. I'm an idiot most of the time, so. Well, hey, I think we're, uh, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree for a lot of us, so. <laughs> so, what has it been like? Well, first of all, number one. World champion. How does that feel? Well, it's different. I, it's, I, I really want to tell you that I can't wait to blow a duck call again. But you know, sitting here within you know in the in the situation that we're in with the you know everything going on, I just I don't want to blow a duck call now for whatever reason. But to still sit here and think about. Man, I did it. <laughs> After 14, 15 years of uh, qualifying for the Worlds, it's, uh, I did it. And it was, it was very, very rewarding. Um, very surreal. Yeah, man. It's uh, been a long road, and you've been hanging out there around the freaking top 10, top 8, top 5 for forever, dude. So what was it like when they started – I guess we're jumping right into it. I don't know. Uh, we haven't talked in a while since that, but uh, – Man, what it what was it like as they start reading off names or runners up and you're like, Okay, okay, I did good this year. What you know? Holy shit. No this is this is gonna happen. 
you know, you say that, and I'm sitting like I'm I'm shaking, just reliving everything that happened that night. It's 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 it was that emotional. Um, we were standing up there, and uh, <clears throat> and I think Ben Marlowe was standing next to me, and I looked at him, and I'm like, Ben, I think I just won this son of a bitch. He said, oh, oh, you think so? I was like, Ben, look who's standing up front. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, you might be right, bud. <laughs> and they, you know, they start naming everybody off. And, you know, they named David St. John there, you know, a lot earlier than what I had thought. Because I thought David had blown really well, uh, really well too. Um, then they keep on going down the line. They get to, you know, fourth runner-up and fifth, third runner-up. And uh, when they got to second runner-up and they called out Phil... I think it was Phil who was second runner-up. Uh, at that point, it's like, holy shit, I won. I was like, I really think I just won this thing. And whenever, uh, <clears throat> when Matt Mosler had us come back around, uh, me and Trevor were standing there behind the, the partition. So many things were going through my mind. You want to, re, you know, play it out in your head of what's going to happen, how you're going to react, um, the vision of everybody coming up on stage is, is right there, you know, at your fingertips, and when they announced uh, Trevor for first runner-up, it was, everything just, my mind just completely left me. Everything that I'd replayed in my mind of how, you know, how everything would go on and, you know, how you'd react is just throw it out the window. And everybody's hollering and screaming and you just, it's a, it's a feeling that it's, it's so hard to describe. And it's a feeling that, you know, everybody that I've ever competed with, I want everybody to have that opportunity. I want everybody to be standing on that stage to have their name called out at the end as the world champion duck caller just so that way they can experience the exact same thing I did. It's amazing, man. It's it, it, it was so cool to see, you know, just looking on from, because I didn't go this year, and uh, just looking at different guys and following it and seeing what was going on. And they were like, you know, they, they announced you as a winner. I was like, Steiny finally got his, man. Like, how passionate that I know that you are for the sport, how much time that you've put into the sport, and how many different competitions that I've seen you go to, and just the short amount of time that I've been following. I've been following freaking competition calling for a fourth of as long as you've been punching your ticket to Stuttgart. You know, like, when I was younger, you know, I'd go up and see some of the Rogers stuff, but it, I never followed it like that. So I was super happy to see you get it, man. I It, it just... I don't know. There's just some guys that you're like, the more guys that I talk to, it's kind of that thing where there's what, 55, 60 guys total? Is that? I think there was 56 this year, which this that was the least amount of uh, contestants I've ever competed with. Uh, Is it normally around 80? I, at one point, I want to say we had 80 people in that contest, and that was. A long evening. <laughs> and so that gets to my... There's 80 guys competing in that thing. And I've probably had in-depth conversations with 10 to 15 of them. And some guys that... I, you know, probably five of them that I've talked to a lot. 
So you develop relationships with the dude. So you wanna you wanna watch it as a fan, and whoever wins wins. But when you have somebody that you talk to, and you watch and you follow how they do win that thing, it just as a fan of it, it's like, dude, that's awesome. And you know, that's exactly right. And I can remember, you know, 2006 when I qualified for the first time, I didn't stay for the entire contest. Uh, I got cut in the second round, and so did, I think I rode down with Keith Allen, and he got cut as well. And after it was over, we we hit the road back to New Madrid because, well, what else are we, you know, we're an hour, you know, a couple hours away. We're going to duck hunt the next morning, obviously. Um <laughs> So 2006, I didn't really, you know, was my first year. I really just got my feet wet. So I hadn't, everybody knew who, you know, Jimbo was, you know, everybody knew who, uh, you know, your, your top five guys year in and year out. You knew who they were. You'd seen them in a couple of different contests. You'd listen to their routines, trying to, you know, to develop your own routine. Um, so, and then 2007, you know, I think I finished in the top 10 for the, that year. Uh, and then, you know, we start building more, and like you said, building more and more relationships with people. And uh, it really hit me, I guess, in 2000, I guess it was 2009 when Mike Anderson won. Because me and Mike Anderson, I had met him probably in 2003 or 2004. And we, you know, we kind of, you know, got somewhat started at about the same time you know we're you know we talk you know once twice a week you know we saw each you know we, we'd see each other you know handful of times a year you know you become you know you become more than friends at that point you know you become almost like family and that year we all stayed him and i uh, stayed at uh, will mcbride's duck camp down there by Bomita and uh went to the contest and mike ends up winning and when you watch somebody that you consider almost like family, the emotions run just as deep then, I think, is what they do whenever, you know, you win, you know, whenever you win a particular contest, you know, of something of, of some meaning. So in two, I would say that's probably when it hit me the hardest that this is more than just a bird whistle. This is, you know, this is a family. Um, this is something that, you know, to cherish and hang on to for the rest of our lives because, you know, the friends that I've made, over the last 15, 16 years, our friends I'll have for, you know, until it's my time. And that's something that you're describing the relationships and friendships of guys that you've, you know, toured around the calling circuit with and you practice with. And, uh, you know, just like you said, family. I think that is the most underrepresented part of the sport. You know, I, I just do call making. Like, that's that's what I like to do. I tinker around in my garage. I'm sitting underneath my lathe right now, you know, and that's where I'm doing this sucker at. I enjoy that stuff, and I have a lot of my buddies that I talk to, you know, every day, if not every other day, about call making and different stuff like that. And I always describe it as, you know, just a brother. The like The like-mindedness that we all have together and how you just relate to people. And it's awesome. Like... There's no pissing and moaning. Like, if I see one of my buddies do good in a competition, I'm like, I'm not like, ah, oh, damn it, I can't believe, you know. It's that competition aspect, but I'm like, awesome, dude. That, now I'm inspired to do this. So that relationship and that competition calling world, man, I think is the most underrepresented part of what makes competition calling great. Because... 
there are so many great stories like that where you guys are I don't know, it's just a unit, man. You can feel it if you get involved in it and you watch it. You can see some of those awesome relationships and it's something you have to pay attention to because if you're just looking at it from an outside perspective and just walking by the tent at an expo and you see them calling, you're like, alright, cool. A competition calling. You know, a calling competition, whatever. Does that make any yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly right because, you know, a lot of... Uh, People, like you said, don't understand, you know, the, you know, everything that's involved with it and, you know, this, um, the bonds that you build with other people. Um, you know, like I said, you know, I'm, I, the friends that I have met and, you know, have gotten, you know, since I've started are going to be friends that I'm going to have until I die. Uh, and I really wish more folks would would participate or at least show up and become more involved so that way you know maybe they can experience the same thing because you know i see that with kids i see that with a lot of the kids contests where you've got you know 12 13 year old kids who are all competing you know together and well hell the kid that lives in missouri is you know talking to a you know his buddy that he sees twice a year who lives in you know what California, Louisiana, you know, somewhere like that, you know, and that's where it starts. And I wish, like I, said, I wish I said, more people would would get involved just so that way they can have that same experience. Because outside of it being just a friendship or you know more of like a, a family member, it opens opportunities to things that you would have never had it, you know, had before. You know, stepping foot into on a duck calling stage. I mean. I can't tell you how many different opportunities I've had in the years to, you know, go visit a buddy and go hunt somewhere that I never would have, you know, been able to hunt. Um, that's what I think, you know, would really benefit a lot of it is just for folks to, you know, grasp the concept of, hey, win, lose, draw, you know, it, it is what it is. You can't win them all. You're you're gonna you're gonna win far more than you ever should have, and you're gonna lose even more than more contests than you thought you should have won so you gotta you gotta set aside that that you know take your licks lose but build the friendships build you know build the 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 whole you know concept of expanding to new places and that open up that's a great way of putting it man that's one thing that i was talking with teddy about the other day i don't know if you listen to his but that new, it seems like the guys that are in, especially on the goose side of things, it Stuttgart always has a bigger draw. But like you said, it was smaller this year than you can remember. Is the guys that are in it, there's a lot of guys that are just killers. One through 20, one through 30. Anybody who runs up there and blows three clean could potentially win this sucker. We're missing, I feel like, a lot of the guys that have been doing it for five years and less. I feel like that's the number that's dwindling in the contest scene because I don't know why it is, but it, I just feel like that we're losing that next crop of guys. Like you just have your really elite guys that are coming up, but I feel like we're missing some of the guys who are just like, heck, I'll throw my hat in the ring kind of guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they'll they'll blow in you know two or three contests, make it to the first, you know maybe make it out of the first round, and you know they get they get discouraged. And I understand. I was there. Been there, done that. Uh, I think the first contest I blew in was at uh, Dunn's uh, in 
I think it was in St. Charles, St. Peter's up there. Uh, my One of my best friends, uh, Chris Betcher, he, uh, he's like, dude, he's like, I think you can do it. So, well, I had a call and uh, practiced on it, what I thought what it was supposed to sound like. And we drove to St. Peter's. I paid how much ever it was to blow in this $1,000 open contest. And got down it's like man that was kind of cool i was like i kind of like that i was like i got cut in the first round i was like but that's i think this is something i can do and then turn around the next year and blow in you know three or four or five contests and don't make it out of the first round not don't don't really feel like i'm getting anywhere <laughs> excuse me and you know kind of got very you know discouraged um kind of backed off a year and you know turned around in 2006 and started working with keith allen and you know got lucky in 2006 and won like the second or third contest I blew in. Um, but I made up for it in 2008 and two or 2007 and 2008. When I think between those two years, I probably blew in 45 qualifying contests. Do you feel like that's like one of the most, like the biggest is just getting that stage time because you can sit and you can practice inside the shop, the outside in the yard, all you want. But if you don't have that stage time, I like I said, I'm I'm ignorant to the whole thing. But I feel like you have to have that pressure to learn how to freaking perform under the pressure. And I, that's exactly right. You have to get on stage. You have to, you have to set aside all your fears of you know standing in front of somebody and possibly embarrassing yourself. Look, I'll be the first one to tell you, I have embarrassed myself multiple times on stage. It's I don't I. That's but that's made me a better caller. I feel um, you learn. You know, you make mistakes. You learn. You know, you've got five judges sitting back there. You know, I, I can tell you this. Shoot, um, in two thousand seven and two thousand eight, if I didn't talk to all five judges after a contest I lost, then you know I was an idiot. But I learned from what they took notes, and you know, not all you know, all judges you know judge a little differently. So you know, and you I, you compile all that, and you you kind of break it down to a okay, three out of the five are saying I need to do this. Well, three out of five are probably yeah, that's probably spot on. So I probably need to work on that. Um, and then you know, you get one or two of them that you know they're nitpicking and they're picking up you know minuscule you know things in your routine that you know. Those get fixed over time. Um, you're there, you know. Whenever you get to that point to where you're you're comfortable with your routine and it becomes second nature, those you know nitpick, you know judges, you know those notes turn into you know you blew clean. That was a good you know, that was a good round. I gave you a six. Okay, that's great. Well, two years ago he was you know on you about you know little you know oh you had a little thin note here you had a little thin note there those will work themselves out but it was the biggest thing was for me is to you know take what the judges said and if three out of the five said i did something well that's probably what i'm going to be working on until the next contest and it did and like i said it helped me tremendously um shoot you you take a weekend and you know drive six hours to kansas city blow in five contests and come home with nothing you you learn really quick. <laughs> you don't have any choice, man. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was talking with, like, do you feel like the written notes? Because just from the call making side of things, it's not the same thing. 
I was talking with Teddy the other day, and he was asking me about uh, Easton. You know, they put on that calling comp- or the call competition this year for the first mm-hmm. time. And he was asking me some of my feedback and what I thought. And I said, man, when Seth went through when he was judging and threw up a live video and started talking about very specific parts of the call and showing how it ran, how how valuable. I've had a bunch of call makers hit me up and say that it, that's they found that extremely valuable to be able to see exactly what he was talking about. And I was like, I can imagine, you know, just getting an index card or whatever the scores came back on and just reading, ran a little bit tight on the bottom end or something up like that. It, it's a lot harder to get. Do you feel like going and talking to the judges afterwards is way more crucial than just looking at the notes? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because, you know, when I look at my notes, you know, after a contest and – and I've noticed over you know the last several years, you know, nobody wants to come up and ask. Nobody wants to ask what they you know what you scored them or what you thought. Um, but when I write, you know, when I do write notes, and if somebody comes up, hey, I was you know I was caller number such and such in the third round or in the first round or the second round or whatever it was, um, you I you know I can find them and be like, okay, uh, you're whipping your bottom note uh, on your hails. Uh, your your tempo's a little off or you know just just something that you know whenever i can sit there and explain to them what i've got written down and just kind of run through it you know do a trial run be okay i need you know you need to be doing this instead of you know what you did uh, i think that helped me and you know it's just you got to set aside your pride and ask for help sometimes <laughs> and that's i think the biggest thing because if you get cut first, second round, and you just get pissed off and go home, you know, like, I'm sure it, the ego check has to be the biggest part of it. Because you have to, you know, I was talking with Hunter about it a, a couple weeks ago, and he was saying never once did he come off stage and his dad said, you did awesome. His dad always said, all right, yeah, you did pretty good, but here's a section that you could have done better on. Like, that ego check has to be the most important part of it. You know, like you were saying, if you really want to get better and get to the top level. That's that's exactly right. You've, you know, constructive criticism is the, is the one thing that's going to make or break you. If you can't, if, if your skin's too thin to take the constructive criticism, you know, I mean... Don't ask, and you know you don't have to ask in public. You know, hey, you know, we live in a day now to where God Almighty, who's not on Facebook or who doesn't have a social media account, or you know, anybody ask me for my phone number, I'll give it to you. I don't care if you know if you want help, I'm gonna help you. Just bear with me. I, you know, I am I am a little on the busy side, so uh, you have real bad service. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, terrible service, (laughs) terrible. The Waltons had better service than I did. <laughs> but, you know, just reach out. You know, we're here to help folks. You know, we didn't get to where we're at by not getting help. Well, tell me tell me how you got started in it. Was it that first competition that your buddy said that you think you should do? Was that the first time you ever entered into one? That was the very first contest I'd ever entered into. And I can remember walking in into Duns. And we'd, I'd been there before a couple of times, you know, they had anything and everything um walking in and sitting down and when i first started i had no idea who anybody was not a clue 
John Stevens could have walked through the door, and he might have been the one that I noticed because, well, he's on hunting videos. <laughs> right. Um, well, at least uh, he was on VHS tapes back in the day. Uh, <laughs> and for he, kids who are under the age of twenty, those were these big blocky things that were DVDs. And what DVDs were were these things that videos were recorded on these CDs. And what CDs were were music that were on these discs. Just all the things that are far outdated for us anymore, brother. Oh, I'm telling you, I feel like I feel like we're dinosaurs now. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> but you know, like, man, I remember sitting back there and you know seeing all these people and you know everybody was talking amongst one another and you know getting this guy getting me to see that firsthand was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I mean, these guys are talking about you know shooting scoters and eiders on the East Coast. You know, I got a one guy sitting you know next to me talking to another guy. He's like, man, he's like, dude, I. I got this giant deer on, you know, trail cam. He said, showing pictures. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. So, you know, obviously blowing the contest, you know, get my ass handed to me. Um, but like, you know, and then, you know, it just, it kind of took off from there. You know, I become more and more interested in it. Um, that's back. I think we still had dial up internet back then and, uh, <laughs> couldn't use, couldn't use dial up in the daylight hours. It was too slow. So I'd wait till about 10 o'clock at night. And I found, uh, I found Bernie Boyle's routine on this Chambers website, and I guess that would have been his 2002 routine, World Championship routine, his third round. If I listened to that once, I bet I listened to it 100 times. And that's where I started to be able to build a foundation for the routine that I that I started to blow, ish, you know, 18 years ago. Um that being able to watch helped me. I'm a visual learner. You know, I'll sit and watch and listen and, you know, I'll pick up things and, you know, improve from there. Um, so watching him helped tremendously. It kind of gave me a foundation of where to start, you know. And then, you know, in 2004, I think I went to Burlington, Iowa, uh, Peoria, went to Memphis, and I think I went back to Dunn's that year as well. And just, I mean, got curb stomped everyone um and then in six 2006 whenever i qualified it lit a fire that you know that i didn't realize that you know just how involved i would become and and like i said you know to me winning is great you know everybody wants to win don't get me wrong but like i said the, the things that i've cherished the most over the last you know 14 15 years of you know qualifying for the world just you know the the relationships that i've built with everybody um just it's and you like i said you learn um some folks you know it might take a little longer to learn but you know like you know i blew in 20 something contests in 2007 to get qualified um thousands of dollars yeah it, it cost me a lot but you know what i got out of it was probably far more rewarding than anything i could ever imagine it's it's the journey, brother. I was talking to uh, Mingo on his podcast I did with him earlier this year, and the he said that he was gonna quit. He was blowing in his last contest. He said he'd been doing it long enough, and if he did not qualify for Worlds, he was gonna quit. And he ended up qualifying, and that was the year that he finished second to uh, to uh, Phil. That same oh, yeah, year, yeah. you know, it's like. So you went from I'm quitting this thing because I've been I feel like I've been trying to okay now this is life. <laughs> yeah, and that's and you know 
living in that time was, you know, look how rewarding that was for him. Look where he, you know, look where he's at now. I mean, Domingo has done just some phenomenal things. I mean, he's he's pretty pretty handy on the old bird whistle. Um, but you know, thinking back on you know the guys that qualify the first time and finish, you know, ex, you know, extremely well in their first contest, yeah, uh, you know, the one that really comes to my mind is, uh, uh, oh shoot, Brent. Uh, God bless America. Can't even think of his name now. One of the worlds in 2001. 2001, 2001. Man, I'd have to pull up. I know... The first year that Phil qualified, I, I think I was talking to I was talking to him a couple of years ago. If I remember this correctly, I think he finished fourth his first year, and then mm-hmm. he spent ten years chasing it to get back into the top five. I don't think he did nearly as well, and he could be I could be totally off with it. But there's there's so many guys like that man that they get that one really close one, and it sends you on this never-ending journey and i feel like that was why i was so pumped when you won that sucker is because you've been hanging out in the top five for freaking 15 years man yeah oh, oh it's uh brent easily yes yes brent easily won in 2001 first year he ever qualified and i can remember him telling me that whenever he went to contest he did i did a, you know, listen to every judge picked every judge's brain you know Helped himself. Turns around, qualifies for the Worlds, turns around, wins the Worlds. I mean, just, it's the perseverance. It's the, you know, the, he kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have done that. You know, like I said, Domingo finished high his first year. Um, Phil finished fairly high his first year. Ryan Nolan, if I'm not mistaken, his first year, he finished pretty high as well. Uh, and then it went on to win it like two or three years, three years later, I believe. <clears throat> but you know, if if you question if you question whether or not you need to do it anymore, you know, push harder. You know, and look at you know, look at Domingo. He was ready to quit, kept on trucking. And I think that's that mindset, man, of just trying to constantly re, you know, change, adapt, learn and keep up with you know the different changes you know because it's a very traditional traditional sport obviously it's it's something that's so much history involved with it but you have to keep growing and keep pushing and you know just i don't know almost be the guy who who sets the new standard and if that's not blasphemy i don't know i might be talking out of my butt i don't know anything You know, and as far as, you know, setting the quote-unquote new standard, um, now I'm not really too sure how much, you know, the Main Street side of things can, you know, be changed. You know, it, it, it's gone through several transformations over the last, you know, 80, 80 years, I think, almost 80 years now, a little over 80. Um, you know, you listen, you listen to the, the, the routines back in the, the, the 70s and 80s, and it's like, that one? What in the, <laughs> this the guy wouldn't qualify that? today. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, hmm, okay, and then you know, then you listen to the progression of it, you know, into the eighties, late eighties, and then you listen to, you know, Trey Crawford and Ronnie Wright, and you know, uh, hell, I think Bernie Boyle was blowing in the late eighties. Um, Buck Gardner, yeah, the guys that you know, well, 
we used to idolize <clears throat> you know they you know their the routines changed and you know as as time went and i guess it was probably i'm gonna say it was probably in the late 80s to whenever you got that more ringing hail colony <clears throat> to things where it really started to grasp i mean it's i haven't heard much from late 70s and 80s early 80s but i can tell you it's definitely considerably different than what we were doing well and i think that's such the cool thing about today is how so many contests now and i was talking to teddy about it are doing the the videos and the live streaming everything and just the connection you know the uh the duck calling group and stuff like that where um like nick J has that uh that diagram and breakdown of you know his competition and just guys can look at that stuff now today where back in the day you had to throw in a vhs or a a tape you know or you know hope to catch somebody else's routine on on youtube after you were on dial up and let it download for the last four days like i think the instant feedback that you can get from the you know you're a world champion and if i had a question i can send you a message and i know that you would give me what your opinion like i think that's so valuable today it, and it is and it, it, it really is because i you know even whenever i got started um Shit, we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have phones that would, you know, record, you know, routines. Um, hell, we had them old, you know, Nokia fifty one hundreds. We'd play Snake on. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, you you get fifty, you get twenty text messages a month and a hundred peak time minutes. I mean, you're you're kind of stretched thin there. <laughs> so you know, we had we had those little pocket cassette recorders and just those little cassettes. I wish I wish I could find them because I'd love to go back and listen to you know listen to you know the progression from you know 15 16 years ago to now and it's like you said it's you know you we've got so much now at our fingertips if you've got a question oh hey i'll just oh he's on facebook i think we're i think we're friends on facebook so let me shoot him a message real quick yeah and i think that that's helping the the people who are wanting to get into it man i was talking with teddy about it and i don't think it came out right but I think it's easier as somebody who maybe even thinks about getting into competition calling to throw up a, a video on the group and enter a competition there versus having to jump on stage. Like, to exactly. me, yeah, like I can post a video and feel far less nervous than having to be up on stage. And I think that's a good introduction. I think it came out wrong in his podcast. Like, I wasn't trying to say that uh, people would be, you know, assholes to you or anything like that. It's just more of, as the caller, you feel more relaxed than having to be up at, uh, you know, up on Main Street. You're, you're comfortable in your own surroundings because, you know, I mean, hell, I'm the, I'm the baddest son bitch in my garage. <laughs> exactly. You know, but, you know the, the, in, the minute you get on stage, it's like, oh, it's gone. So, <laughs> this thing, what Kyle Jones has been doing has just... Dude, it's it's fantastic. I don't know if you saw it or followed it at all. Oh yeah, dude, he's taking the mantle of being a an amazing representative for the freaking sport, dude. I can't say enough good about what he's doing for this because you know, with like you said, with with this the uncertainty of contests right now, and as we know, you know, unfortunately, Easton's canceled, and I well devastated. It's it's we hate it, um, but to still you know 
keep that fire lit for some of these people and you know and this is this has been a great opportunity for people to blow a duck call enter a contest it's not costing them you know it's not costing them anything to be able to you know show what they can do on a duck call um and they get feedback it's it's not like they're just you know they're blowing a call just you know, just for shits and giggles, you know, they're getting, they're getting the, you know, they're getting feedback, you know, we, like I said, we want to help, you know, and it's, and I think it's, it's going to do great things for, you know, for the sport of, you know, competitive calling. It's, and I'd like, I'd really like to believe that it's going to get more folks involved as well. So we can maybe go back to the days of, I mean, I don't want to see 40 and 50 callers at a regional anymore, but, you know, I think it'd be awesome to, I think it would be awesome to see, you know, People showing back up, you know, good turnouts. Uh, you know, these places, these places that put on these contests, they, you know, they don't do. They're doing it for free. You know, it's it's time out of their, you know, out of their day, time away from their family. You know, and we go to these contests, and you know, we're there for them. You know, and you know, you look at places like Rogers. You know, shoot, they got a big sale. Hell, spend money. Go to Rogers, spend money. You know, that's you show up, you blow in a contest, go spend some money in there because without places like that, we're not going to have our contests. And I'm really afraid that you know, with what's happening is with this whole Corona deal, is it, it may slip away, but oh, with Kyle doing what he's doing, it might spark you know that interest in folks that may not have had that interest before. Yeah, I and agree. Come back better, bigger, better, stronger. Uh, more involvement, um, bigger community. Yeah, the, the more new guys. And that's just like what you were talking about. Like, you know, throw, entering yourself into that competition. You're going to get feedback. You're not getting it from your buddy that hunts down the street, you know, and has been your hunting buddy forever. You're getting it from the best guys in the world. World champions giving you feedback. That is that's priceless. You you know how much money you would have had to pay for that twenty years ago? Oh yeah. Well, well, you, well yeah. You th- you think about it. I mean, you think about the money that you spend to get what you get out of it. Yeah, it's it's costly. So you know, and then like I said, with kids to be able to to get on the internet now and blow a routine and be able to learn from it, they you know they're they're completely bypassing the whole you know travel five six hours blowing you know two contests and go home you know with the tail tucked between the leg. Um, I think this is going to give folks, you know, the opportunity to, you know, learn more than, you know, even before. I, I agree, man. And I think just capturing that, that audience, you were talking about people coming out to the shows. And from my side of things, not being a competitor, I enjoy seeing a good contest. Like, when you get ingrained in it and you start watching the contest and you start seeing oh man this guy got this guy t- last week at this contest and now they're going back and forth and how's it going to come out at Stuckart? like that's exciting to me to see the competition going back and forth it's not a i hate this guy competition it's a friendly rivalry but it's still fun to watch and as a fan i think there's so much that if you're just passing by Say, you know, you're going to Bass Pro and you're grabbing some decoys for this sale or Rogers or whatever competition you're at, Presley's, and you're like, hey, man, I'm going to sit down and sit and watch the tent because I saw this guy on a Facebook Live video and I kind of want to watch this competition, you know? Maybe maybe there's something to this thing and then maybe they jump into it, 
You know, I just, I think the technology aspect that it comes from all the videos and the live streaming of competitions gets more people, it out there to more people. That that was the whole reason that I started streaming those ones is uh, I was laid up. I had freaking surgery, and I couldn't go to Rogers. It was like the first time in three years I couldn't go to Rogers, you know, get a decoys, layout blind, whatever, stop by the contest booth, and see, you know, other friends that live in Kansas City. That's only a couple hours from me. It's not a big deal. But uh, I was like, I wonder who's winning. And I know Seth was was live streaming it. And uh, he was also in the damn competition, so I couldn't ask who's gone, what's happened, or anything like that. And that's why I was like, dude, there's got to be a better way for people to see this. And I'm glad Rogers does it now, and people are streaming this, because if you can't go to the competition, at least you can see it and get interested in it. No, I mean, you're, that's exactly right. I mean, that's, you know, you can you can watch, you know, the, and I'll use I'll use Stuttgart's contest, you know, the world's for, you know, as a prime example. Um, I can't tell you how many folks that I know, you know, personally and, and very well that, you know, they, you know, everybody, know, everybody around, you know, home, you know, that I, I'm friends with, acquainted with, you know, they know I blow in, you know, I blow in these contests and, you know, I've, I've done fairly well in the past. Um, but they always, you know, they'll get online and, you know, they'll watch some of the world's contests and, you know, people talk on there, you know, you know what the scores are, you know, where who's, you know, who stands, you know, where. Um, but after, after the worlds, the people that reached out or, you know, congratulated me that said, man, you know, we knew you, we knew you could blow a duck call, but you know, we've, we've watched it on the, you know, on Facebook a couple of times, but we'd listened to the whole thing. That was awesome. That right there. That's cool. I'm sorry for somebody who has no freaking idea what the hell we're doing on stage or, you know, what kind of noisemaker we've got. For them to say, man, that's awesome. I enjoyed watching that. That's cool. To me, that is that is freaking cool. So for if you can get people to, you know, who don't give a rip about, you know, duck hunting or duck calling to, you know, show some interest in it, you know, what kind of interest is that showing in, you know, the people who do duck hunt, who do blow a duck call, who sit at home and watch this? You know, what kind, you know, that, that could, you know, light, light a little fire for these folks, you know, just give it the opportunity. I agree, man, because it's something that I hope starts to come back. Like, Stuttgart, you know, is one of the contests. I've, I was talking to Teddy about it. You know, he's like, only 12 people entered the Goose competition this year. And that's insane. Mm-hmm. Or, and, or maybe I was talking to Taylor about it, John Taylor. Somebody. And we were talking about how only 12 people. And I was like, you know, Stuttgart generally has a good turnout just because of how many competitions are around this area. Like, we really live where you and I live at is a golden, you know, area for contests. We can go three hours in any direction and be at most major contests in the world. But uh, I I feel like I had a point, but I don't know what I was going to say. But I I just, I don't know how to, how it gets brought back because something has to, something has to change to get more of these younger guys. Like I said, the, the one to five year guys is what needs to be added to it because it 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 is entertaining. You walk by, like I said, there were years where I went and I just stopped by and looked and I was like, all right, this guy can really run a call. This is cool. All right, guys, I'm gonna see you later. You know, do whatever. But then you sit down and you watch it, 
and you just you watch the back and forth. Oh man, he's got him by a point. Let's see how he does. Oh hell, this guy stuck a stuck a note this round, or you know, like that. It's there's drama to it. It's exciting, and it's not even drama to be drama nonsense Facebook drama. But I mean, in the competition, I I grew up playing sports, man. I love fucking sports, and I love fighting. I love stuff like that. So when you watch guys fighting, going back and forth in a competition, they don't even know what the hell their scores are. But they're just out there going back and forth, and it just plays out. It's so entertaining, and I think the more people that see it, just the potential to come back, man. I don't, I don't know. I want to see it start making a comeback. I want to see. I don't know if outdoor, you know, the outdoor channel is ever going to be a real thing again. But for it to, you know, when in two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six, that area, I remember seeing Stuttgart on freaking the outdoor channel. Yeah, and actually, in two thousand seven. Um ESPN Outdoors had a photographer there doing pictures and stuff for it. And I remember they had, on ESPN.com, they had a segment about the World's Contest on there as well. And that was, from what I can remember, that was the only time they'd ever done that. Um, that would be, it'd be great. It'd be kind of cool to see that. Hell, I think Sarah Palin did a show about it too once. Um, it would be cool to see it broadcasted, you know, on live TV. But, you know, like you said, it's the outdoor channel is kind of becoming a thing of the past. You yeah. know, Facebook and you know all your you know Netflix type you know stuff to where you know hell I can get on Netflix and watch meat watch every episode of Meat Eater if I want. Um, you know, and I don't I don't know if it's going to be like a I don't know if it'd be a you know an outdoor channel sportsman's channel thing to to help expand and broaden broaden everything. Um, I think a lot of it you know as much as I hate to say it and I. I despise social media, but I think social media could could help, you know, tremendously. I agree, man. And I, it's the stuff that Kyle is doing. That's why I went to this podcast format versus doing live streaming stuff and me talking about stuff. Because I'm talking to the guys that are out there making calls and competition callers. And it's not my opinion of stuff going on. I, I want to let guys tell their own stories and they're because people love this stuff man you you see you know a guy like you on stage at Stuttgart and then you're like all right cool man he won it and then you hear this background part of it and the feelings and like oh hell dude even Mike was scared his first competition you know and bombed out for two years three years until he it finally clicked and then it's like well now I'm not as scared to go up there and try it because I know that even world champions are freaking scared, man. Yeah, Andy cried like a little bitch on stage in November. Do <laughs> what? I said Andy cried like a little bitch on stage in November. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to. I'm not ashamed to say it. Hell yes, I did. <laughs> Dude, I can. I can't imagine putting that much time into something and then it finally, it finally hitting. Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I've ever put that long. And that much dedication in anything. Like, God, I can tell you I haven't. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. It's a very unique thing. And you guys are just a, a different breed of people, man. And it it takes a lot of fucking balls to jump on the stage. And hopefully you don't have too many family members who are offended by the cussing. Because I think I've dropped the F-bomb three or four times now. And I try not to. But it does. It takes some balls to jump up on stage, man. Oh, and it, absolutely. And, it, if, if, and that's half the battle. 
Uh, the, that, might, that might be more than half the battle. You know, it's, you know, and I, man, I'll be honest with you. I still shake like Muhammad Ali at a press conference in a, in a contest. God. I mean, okay, I'm sorry. Maybe not Muhammad Ali. Maybe uh, Michael, Michael J. J. Fox. <laughs> yeah, we'll use Michael J. Fox. <laughs> but no, dude, I... Dude, I get up on stage. The first round is always the worst. I'll get up there, and if you if you watch me, I will. You know, everybody has their own you know superstitions of you know their their pregame, their uh, just whatever they got to do to get their mind right. Me, shit, dude, watch me on stage. I will rock back, and I'm rocking like a freaking. Uh, like a rocking chair, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And hell, it, I may have a 30, 40 second warm up, but I'm getting comfortable. Um, you know, I'm getting, you know, how I, I, to where I feel like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. You know, and it's just, and I'm shaking, dude. I, and I walk off the stage and I'm wondering, am I going to make it down these stairs or am I going to fall down and I'm going to have, uh, have the ambulance come over and pick me up? I, I think mean, in 17, I watched somebody fall down the freaking stairs. <laughs> Like, they, they slipped. They didn't get hurt or anything, but they slipped. And they just kind of laughed it off. But I remember seeing that. I, that may have been... That may have been the only year I didn't go to Stuttgart. It was It was either 16 or 17. I can't remember. But one of those years, I didn't go. I'd qualified. I'd won the... I think I'd won the regional that uh, Foyles had up there. It was in Louisiana. And I'd won that regional, and I was working offshore still at the time. And God, our freaking our schedule would change every other hitch. And it's like, well, okay, well, I'm home for the contest. You know, I'm, I'm going to blow. And then, uh, you know, a month or a month and a half before, it's like they're like, okay, we're going to switch schedules. You're going to a, a you're working a four and two schedule now. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> so didn't didn't blow that year, but still, you know, I still qualified. Um, but yeah, dude, it's shake I mean it's it's you, you shake I, I still shake it's anybody who says that they don't I mean I I, I dare to say that they're not being 100% truthful if you stick in the warm up or lock lock the, the call up in the warm up what is it like trying to blow a routine after that because I've seen countless guys doing that in their warm up and then it freaking locks up and you're like oh god how is he going to run a routine after that you know you can get the call free but it's like the nerves of that for me that's you know and i i do the same you know i do i've got the same warm-up i've had the same warm-up for several years um you know i'll run through it you know run through my you know my low-end ducks and you know I'll, I'll blow them um then i'll blow you know like my, my transitions and if i make a mistake in there if i you know if i stomp on you know my second duck and not open my throat you know okay i'll i'll blow it again until i get it and then you know once i get it and i feel comfortable it's it's, it's more muscle memory um you know then at that point it's like okay stupid you know you know you have to keep your throat open so i'll run back you know i'll, I'll run back through it blow it clean and then just kind of move on and you got you have to set that you know you got to put that in the back of your mind. You've got to get it, you know, as far away from, you know, your focus, you know, your focal point, and then, um, because you know, when you, when you nod your head to go, it's go. You know, it's it's all or nothing. It's uh, so you've you've got to put that back. Like, okay, I know I just did that in my warm up. You don't need to be thinking about that because you're going to do it. If you think about it, it's going to happen. 
is it almost better to get, have it stick in the warm up so you're like, well, there's my fucking hiccup of this run, of this run. At least it was in the warm up. For me, honestly, for me, it doesn't make a difference one way or the other. Gotcha. Just uh, it's and like I said, after after you know after so many years of doing it, you know it all be it's like riding a bike. You know I haven't shit I haven't blown my damn duck call since you know since the worlds, but I feel like I could you know find it somewhere and pick it up and I could you know I could blow my hails I could blow my ducks. Now am I going to get through a routine without you know passing out because I have no wind? You know probably not because well I'm fat overweight and uh, I just don't think I can get through a whole routine at this point gotta build up that cardio man what are you gonna what's what's the plan for this year like are you are you gonna go to rogers if i don't even know what competitions we're having this year man man don't make don't make me lie to you (laughs) i don't i i there's so much uncertainty right now with what's going on um last i heard rogers is still you know not 100 percent on sure what they're gonna do i mean we're a month away yeah yeah i mean i I've I've already you know I've already written everything off this year. Um, I'm not holding my breath for anything. Hell, I'm not holding my breath for Stuttgart to happen. Um, if it does, it does. That's great. If it doesn't, you know that sucks. I freaking hate it. Um, but there's there's entirely too much uncertainty as to you know the the future of you know 2020. Hell, if we'd have, we'd have looked at a crystal ball, you know, last year and said, oh, shit, time to bypass that. We're going 19 to 21. Yeah, it, it's so weird because now you have this stupid dust storm that people are freaking out about. And it's like... There's a dust storm? Yeah, exactly. I guess there's some dust storm coming from Africa that the media was trying to overhype. And it was like, okay, I wanted to know what the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl... All these different things were like. I just didn't want them all in a four-month span, you know. Well, you know they they say history repeats itself, and it's doing a pretty goddamn good job of it right now. Dude, it is bipolar as all get out. I mean, it's worse than Missouri weather. <laughs> well, people don't understand that one either, because you're another Missouri guy, man. And when I lived down south, it was just always hot, always hot and humid. And uh, I'm like, man, you should move to Missouri. It could be 95 here one day and snow in the next day. No, I wouldn't mind seeing some snow. Shit, it's been two or three years since we've seen snow down here. We haven't had a good cold, cold, cold winter. And since 2014, I think, was the last time that we had a good cold winter where stuff started to lock up. We started getting on the creeks and uh, just beating the crap out of ducks. And it's like the last couple years, man... We've had ducks the last two weeks of season because over here on this side of the state, unless you go over to like the Kansas line, there are not ducks to be had, man. It is a, a sad state of affairs. Yeah, it's we come out there a couple of years ago. It got stupid. I mean, it, there was like three or four days it got stupid cold. Um, one of my best friends used to go to SMS. Oh no, yeah, him and his. Yeah, him and his him and his brother did. Uh, so when his brother was out there, his brother was his brother was a year older than me. So when his brother was out there, his brother, you know, got all the inside, knew all the places to go. He went out there, went to school, you know, he knew where to go. Um, and we went out there two years ago. He and he even told me he said he said it's not worth going out west unless shit starts to freeze. Like, well, okay, um, sitting there in the office one day and looking at the weather and it's like hell it looks like it's only gonna be about 30 degrees for a high for about four days and the low you know 
low teens, you know, bumping 10. So I called him and I was like, hey, I was like, you looked at the weather? He said, huh, what's going on? I'm like, it's supposed to be like between 25 and 30 for a high and low between like 10 and 15 uh, for about the next four or five days out, out west. And he said, well, sounds like we're going to make a road trip. So we hooked up to the boat, took off west, and, man, we had a fantastic time. It was great out there. Yeah, it's a – dude, it's killer. I, it's just far enough away because I'll talk to different guys from all over the country, and they're like, oh, well, you live in Missouri. You probably see mallards all the time. And I'm like, yes, if we're killing ducks, it's there's a 90% chance, 95% chance it's going to be a mallard out here. But if there's ducks here, they're drunk or they're lost. Like, <laughs> we are in between two flyways by 300 miles on either direction. So, if the weather gets real jacked up, we start getting a lot of birds. But Yeah, shit's got shit's to gotta freeze from Mountain City to probably Clinton or so. Or, hell, even, even down as far as Springfield. Once shit starts freezing from Mountain City south. Um, from what I've from what I've gathered and what I've seen, that's that's when you guys start to get them. But you know, well, you you look, you know, on a map. I mean, hell, we're almost due east west of each other, mm-hmm. and it is. I mean, Missouri may Missouri very well could have the most diverse uh, waterfowl habitat in the United States. I, I would say that's probably maybe maybe somewhere up in the northeast, like uh, not northeast, northwest, like uh, Seattle or uh, Washington or some Oregon. How they have all the crazy deserts, mountains, and then the coastal stuff. But Missouri is it's a weird one, man, because out here, you know, I live just south of Springfield, a couple miles, and uh, we're in the Ozark Mountains. You mm-hmm. know, and then you get over your side of the state, and it's as flat as can be. Yeah, and, and I mean, when I went out there for the first time, I th- the very first time I went out west, we went out and hunted uh, Four Rivers. I think we hunted the open unit, and it was the strangest shit I've ever seen. I mean, we're we're bobbing around, you know, up, you know, over the hills and you know, up and down the valleys, and I'm like, where, where the hell are we going? And next thing you know, we come up over this rise, and it's like, holy shit! He's like, yep. About four thousand acres of open ground. I'm like, get you some, bub. <laughs> and four rivers and was, is even a weird part. That's even a more flatter part of the state. Um, from Joplin, like all the way up to Kansas City. If you run that state line, there, I I run a delivery route out there, and I had a route all winter, and it's like two and a half hours away, and it's I'd just be texting all my buddies, and you know David Taylor. I think you've talked to him before. Uh-huh. Me and him hunt together 100 days a year. And, uh, dude, I'd just be like, we need to get somebody out here. We know guys in Joplin start scouting because, holy crap, you'll have four ducks in Springfield, and you'll have, you know, 20,000 out there like it's nothing. Yeah, it's, and it's crazy how, you know, and out there, like I said, you know, the habit, how diverse the habitat is. And I'm, and I'm sorry, you know, I'll argue with it, you know, I'll argue till I'm blue in the face that I'm so, your ducks that you're shooting are completely different ducks that we shoot. Um, your mallards are not our mallards. Oh yeah, uh, we're hunting central. Most of them. yeah, we're yeah. Our we freeze. Our ducks are gone. You freeze. Your ducks are going to stack up on you know on reservoirs. I mean hell, you've got. I don't know what uh, Table Rock gets, but I know I've heard of stories of guys going to Table Rock just to shoot golden eyes and shoot a bunch of damn divers. Um, you know you've got. Was that Palm de Terre over there? Mm-hmm. 
you know, they can they can sit on Palm, they can sit on Truman, they can sit on Stockton. You know, they've, they've got so many places to sit on open water, and hell, they dry feed. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we you know, we don't see that like you all do. You know, we'll see it, you know, once in a blue moon, but the conditions have to be absolutely perfect. Uh, but we just, we don't see the dry feeding, you know. Even, even whenever we're just starting that freeze point, you know, of everything locking up, you know, our birds will, you know, they'll hold as long as they can. And as soon as it's done, they're bumping south. Um, you know, our, you can kill some ducks on the Mississippi River, but it's just our stretch of Mississippi River is completely different than the stretch of Mississippi River from Alton Pool, you know, north to Keokuk. It's it, it's night and day. And, you know, from northwest Missouri, north central Missouri, you know, all the way down to the boot hill, you know, we're, you know, we're flatlanders, you know, rice, corn, beans, uh, cotton. Um, and, you know, we do, you know, we've got some flooded timber. So, you know, and that's, you know, that's kind of why I say, you know, Missouri is so diverse and, you know, we're all hunting different types of birds and it's, and it's just, it's a really, really unique and a really cool place to see. And I wouldn't recommend anybody coming here because it's terrible. <laughs> I agree, man. It, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's so, it's so strange because people will ask me, they're like, you know, what's the duck hunting I like around you? And I'm like, if I go two hours in any direction, it's the best duck hunting in the world. You know, you can hunt whatever yeah. you want. You can hunt fields. You can hunt the river. You can hunt, you know, these reservoirs. You can hunt big lakes. You can find flooded timber if the water's right. Like, it's it's the best in the world. You just have to be willing to put in the work and you know get out and about. But it's a it's a I'm very fortunate to be in this area, man. It it really is nice and the pressure on this side of the state compared to where you guys are at if there's a dry feed going on i can go knock on a farmer's door and there's a pretty damn good chance that i can get on it yeah that's the likelihood of that happening for us is slim you know i mean i don't know how much how much time you've been over, spent over here or how much you've hunted over here but you know now you know some of the historical places i say historical you know the places that have in the past been you know extremely well you know you'd have there were areas that had you know six seven hundred bird you know pits that hell it's a ghost town ducks don't use the area anymore you know the the, the the flyway path has shifted you know whether it's shifted east or whether it's shifted west um you know it's 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 hard telling at this point but you know every and but you take certain areas you know south of kennett for example south of 412 hell there's a freaking rice field you know a rice field pit every eighth of a mile yeah that's so a- you know they see they see a pit with 10 guns and 500 decoys every damn day well, yeah, and then they have freaking some of the best callers in the world all freaking pressuring them. Yeah, I stay away from that shit. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. It's kind of like you were talking about going to Four Rivers. I can probably count the number of times I've been to Four Rivers on two hands because I hate it. I, I, I private land hunt so much because our bird opportunity is so little, but we, you know, between David and I, dude, we have so, like, we have a whole city that's like 10 miles away from where we both live at, like, pretty much locked up on the ag land and uh you know we can just kind of rotate fields and everywhere around springfield all the little small towns around springfield we went around man and we locked up a lot of the small ag land around there and it's like we don't we don't travel far because there's not a lot of pressure going on but people are like man where'd you shoot all them birds at we're like ah four rivers (laughs) you know head out that way buddy (laughs) 
mean, don't get me wrong. There's there's birds there. I mean, and you know, if standing in the poor line is something you want to do, yeah, have at it. You know, it's it's easy. You know, oh, Four Rivers is holding you know seventy thousand ducks. You know, ninety percent of our mallards. Well, hell, let's go try. You know, let's go drill at Four Rivers, or you know, let's bypass the draw and let's go hunt. You know, let's sleep in and we'll go hunt the open unit till you know we'll hunt midday or we'll hunt in the afternoon or you know whatever it may be. And you know, and that's what makes it you know so much different out there is you know whereas here you know you you've got one or two choices out here isn't it you spend, duck, is it duck creek that you have to have a, a compass or something because it's so damn big yeah they've got a uh they've got a couple of blocks of timber that um that will flood that they flood uh they generally try to wait till around thanksgiving till the timber you know goes dormant but uh you know when they get it flooded to full you know the one the one pool that's uh generally really good when they get it flooded to full capacity of you know of what it's going to take uh, or the, the maximum amount of water you know without it you know breaching every levy um they'll put in 40 you know 40 to 50 individuals in there and it is this block of timber is probably a mile and a quarter wide and from north to south the water line is probably about three miles maybe four so it's not a it's in retrospect, speaking, you know, comparing to, you know, whether it be the White River Bottoms, the Cash River Bottoms, you know, Balmita, Dave Donaldson, places like that, it is tiny compared to those, but it's all walk-in. So, you know, you would tell you, you know, you walk in west, you walk out east, um, but you get three-quarters of a mile back in there, and you're in knee-deep water, and you turn around, it's like... Everything looks the same. <laughs> everything 100% looks the same. And then, you know, and then ran into it several times before, um, you know, walking out, you know, come across some guys who were walking out and uh, they're like, hey, man, you guys mind if we follow you out? It's like, yeah, that's, that's cool. Like, Where do y'all, you know, y'all are parked. Yeah, that's cool. You know, park down here with us. Well, you cross the bridge to get to the parking lot and these guys are like, all right, thanks. And they take off walking up north and it's like, where are y'all going? <laughs> like, well, we parked up. We parked up there, and I'm like, "Well, how the hell did you get all the way down here?" Well, the sun rises in the east, so we just followed the sun out, and it's like, "Okay, hang on here." I'm yeah. guessing you didn't you didn't do too well in science class whenever they were teaching about how the sun and moon work. <laughs> uh, in the wintertime, sun the sun rises in the southeast, <laughs> and it's noon when you're trying to leave. <laughs> Well, if, if we're walking out, generally we're done. So it's it might be you know ten you know ten eleven o'clock at, you know at the latest. Um, but it's dude, it's you have to, or else you will get turned around in there, and it's and it's easy to do. Hell, I've you know before we you know we all got GPSs, which thank God for that. And this was before iPhones as well. Um, we would have just a compass. You know, you'd, you'd cross the bridge and be like, okay, we know we need to go. Um, we need to kind of walk to the, you know, just to the southwest. Um, we're going to walk this for about, 
you know, 30 to 40 minutes. And that's going to put you, you know, probably three quarters of the way deep, you know, into the, you know, into the timber. And then, like I said, when you turn around and walk out, you know, you grab your compass. Like, okay, I know I walked in going, you know, southwest. I'm going to go out walking just a bit northeast. And you start walking. And I'm terrible with a compass. I can look at a compass and know which way I'm going. But as far as pinpointing what direction I need to go to get to that exact location, I, I can't do it. I'll be honest. So, you know, you get to the, you know, you get to the ditch and shit, you may be, you know, a quarter mile from the bridge one way or the other. And it's, it's happened to us several times, but you know, now with, you know, with the GPS or, you know, an iPhone help, you can get enough service in there to pull up Google maps and like, Oh, okay, we need to go, we need to go a little bit this way. Whereas, you know, whereas before, no, you, you had, you had to have a compass on your neck. <laughs> well, I can tell you, man, even field hunting, everything is so much different in the dark. I can't tell you how many times we field hunted and been like, all right, the birds are right up here at this little, you know, roll in the hill or whatever. And then the sun comes up and I'm like, well, hell, man, we were supposed to be 200 yards further up. You know, it, it, everything just looks different in the dark. So it's real easy to do that stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, when, like I said, when you walk in the woods and it's dark, and you've got a headlamp on, I mean, you're not walking four miles an hour in, you know, in shin deep water, I can tell you that. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's a slow stroll. Um, and then you get, like I said, you you see certain things on the way in, and whenever you come back out, it's like, oh, hey, there's the tree that looks like a pecker. <laughs> or, you know, or, hey, there's a deer stand with us. Okay, we're, you know, we're heading in the right direction. You know, it, it takes a little, you know, you see something and it takes, but you have to, in order to get you in that right direction to go back, you know, you have to have a compass. Cause if not, um, man, walking in, you, you know, I've seen it, you know, you walk in, you catch your bearings off your GPS and look at your compass and be like, okay, I need to walk this way. And you walk for, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes and you stop and you look at your GPS again. And it's like, well, son of a bitch, where am I at? Hell, I'm freaking way further south than i need to be so you turn around and collect your bearings and you know point her back to the north a little bit and you walk another 15 minutes and well next thing you know you're you're so far past you know what your you know your projected line should be but you know when you're walking and you got you, you go around trees you're never back on the same line <laughs> we had uh one of the best honey holes that we still have on public land me and my buddy were gonna go hunt this really big bend in the river and we were up at Stockton and it was frozen. I mean, just everything had been locked up. Probably the last really cold winter we had, maybe 12, 13, something like that. And uh, we're like, man, I really wanna go hunt this bend because I think there's gonna be enough ripples going in the water. It, you know, no scouting or anything. It's just I've hunted that area before. And I was like, I let's get way back in here and hunt this little clearing area. And we had a good idea where it was at. And it was snowing like an SOB too. So we're just wandering around. And everything that we're finding is locked up. And we're like, crap, dude, crap. So we finally come to open water. And it's like right as shooting time happened, is getting ready to go down. And we're like, well, this is not ideal. But there's open water. You know, it's... 10 feet wide and you know half of it's frozen but we're just going to throw out something here and we'll uh we'll figure it out at the end of the hunt and go walk and try to see what this little bin looks like and uh we were maybe a hundred yards from that bin just down the creek a little bit and uh we watched five six hundred fucking birds circle this thing all morning long and on stockton around this area 
That's pretty damn good. That's no, that doesn't sound like anything to a lot of the guys listening that are in Arkansas. They're like, oh, five or six hundred birds. I wouldn't get up for that. But all within a little, you know, like the size of a house size little bend in the creek. I mean, it was just uh-huh. a black circle. And we've every time it gets real, real cold, we'll get back there on that sucker. I think we shot a three man limit in like I don't know five, six minutes. And we were just That's like stupid. stopping and laughing God. in between. We're like, this is so dumb. And, uh, and yeah, man, we just keep hitting that thing every time it gets cold because we know where it's at. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's you know, and when we went out west a couple of years ago, we ended up we went to Stockton, and that's you know that's that's where he wanted to go. So, and to me, you know, from where I'm at to come over there, it was it's a lot different. Um, and like I said, you know, the birds use the lake to you know to water and you know fly out to dry feed in the af- you know in the afternoons. So, you know, to be able to, you know, hunt a spot in the morning, hunt it till 10, 11 o'clock, you know, shoot, you know, I don't think we shot a limit, but, you know, it was, you know, they were good shoots. And, uh, you know, we told them, you know, we had five or six of us with us. And it's like, all right, hey, we're going to jump in the boat. We're going to go make a, we're going to go scout real quick. So we'd be gone an hour, hour and a half. And, you know, we find, you know, you come around, you know, come around the lake and that lake is, dude, I don't know how people run that lake because I'm. I knew I was gonna hit a damn tree. Yeah, knew it was gonna happen. Bad. Yeah, hell, I'm sitting there running in thirty foot of water and watching. I'm like, shit, there goes a tree. Well, that's probably not a good thing. And and my buddies over there is like, you might want to get in the channel. I'm like, I'm in thirty foot of water. I'm not in the channel. And he said, uh uh. I'm like, well, okay. So we we piddle around the lake, and you know, you you'll find probably like you said, you know, a couple hundred birds here, you know, a couple hundred birds there. You know, you come around the corner, and you know, back in a little pocket, there's fifteen hundred mallards, and it's like. I'm really going to try to hunt 1,500 mallards. Okay, you know what, let's do it. Go back in the next morning and, and you shoot them. And you're not shooting into all 1,500 at once. It's like, you know, they come back, you know, they go out to feed in the morning, they come back, you know, and, you know, they trickle back, you know, shooting into 10, 20 birds a whack. And it's, it, made, it made for a fun shoot. It was, it was definitely pretty cool to be able to do that. So I, I can really, I see what you're saying. It's, uh, it's worth it. It's cool. It's it's crazy, man. And uh, you think freaking Stockton's bad? Truman is so much worse. If you get on the west side of Truman, you know you have Highway 13 that runs up to Clinton from Springfield. If you yep. get on that west side, dude, these stumps there. That I think that's where the best waterfowl hunting is at. I, I'm not as versed in Truman as a lot of guys are, but dude, it is some sketchy boat riding. I like walking in a lot of places because I like to live. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it can get real sketchy out there real quick. Yeah, I know uh, Matt Rogers fishes uh, Truman quite a bit, and he sent vid- he sent videos. And man, there ain't no way in hell I'd be up on pad running across that lake. Yeah, no. That scares, that scares, that scares the shit out of me. You have somebody, somebody dies every year out there, man, during duck season. God, that does and, and it's probably because they take a, you know, a fourteen thirty six, you know, pond hopper and load it down with five, six, seven dozen decoys, four guys, and a and a nine nine motor. Yep, exactly. And then the wind starts rolling, and it's like, well, we're in big trouble now, buddy. <laughs> you need to do one of two things: either get the hell out before it happens, or just go ahead and plan on camping. Yep. Well, brother, I uh, I know you're hanging out in town. We've been going for an hour or 15 already, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, mighty. It's crazy. It's been long overdue, man. I uh, I really enjoyed the heck out of this. 
Good. It's been great. I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the invite. It's been uh, it's been fantastic. Absolutely, man. I would love to have you on again, and hopefully uh, we start seeing some contests, and hopefully everything's everything's safe and everybody's doing well. I don't ever want to downplay anybody who's gotten sick from it or their family members have gotten sick, but hopefully this thing gets uh, gets going and we can kind of get back to normal life and start seeing some competitions again. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I'm, I'm far too social of a person to to be stuck at home all the damn time. <laughs> I feel you, man. The Netflix is uh, definitely running thin these days. Yeah, you can only watch so much of it. Well, you get yourself on that Tiger King, and you tell me how many crackheads are on that show. I think it's about 99%. That sounds like a good one. I'll, I'll, def- <laughs> I'll definitely have to look at that. You know, that, that might be a, might be a good uh, part two podcast of... Uh, the critiquing of the Tiger King. <laughs> I'd be down, brother. And anytime you want to come on, dude, I would be happy to have you. Dude, I'd love to. I'd love to. Let's. Uh, hopefully, everything works out this year, and we can put something together. Absolutely, man. I uh, like I said, I really appreciate it, bud. Yeah. Hey, man. Thanks a bunch. Yes, sir. And you, uh, you have yourself a good night, buddy. You do the same. Take care, man. All right. All right. Bye. All right, guys. Mr. Michael Steinmeier, Steiny, as everybody calls him. Um, just super stoked to see him win that sucker this year. He's been doing it for a long time and as nice as guy as they come. And fellow Missouri boy, can't ever go wrong with that, you know. He's, he's, a, he's a good one. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, get out there, share this sucker, um, leave some reviews. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, have a good one.